to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregg. We're from to love, honor, and vacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, biblical, evidence-based advice for your sex and marriage. And I am joined, as always, by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And I said as always, but it actually isn't going to be as always. No. For a while. You you really held the fort down while I was on vacation for the last two podcasts. Thank you for that. No problem. But you are getting exceedingly large. Oh, yeah. And ready to burst. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm hoping, I'm hoping desperately that soon I am no longer available for podcasts. Yes. Because that will mean I have a baby. Yes. So we're going to be recording a couple of extra ones tomorrow for when you go into labor. And yes. We'll see, but that hopefully that will come soon. But I'm really glad you're here for this one because I didn't want to do this one with your dad because this one is all about boobs. Yeah. So the girls got to talk about boobs. Yeah, the girls got to talk about the girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of girls, we want to thank very much our wonderful sponsors for this podcast, Femily. Um, Femily is an amazing women's wellness company. They have great products, including um, reusable menstrual products. Mm-hmm. We're big, big fans of their menstrual cups, which actually allow you to... Not that one. The not, other one they have has Yes, it, but... they have some like this and some that allow you to actually empty them while they're still inside so some really cool technology there we're big fans of menstrual cups and they also have reusable pads they have amazing wellness teas Um, but some of the stuff they're best known for which we're going to be talking about later this month on the blog is their vaginal suppositories so when we think wetness we tend to think (laughs) lubricant that goes on the guy's penis but the nice thing about vaginal suppositories it actually helps the lubrication yourself so it it prevents dryness it prevents chafing it prevents all kinds of things and hey they're even in great flavors yeah which i will just leave that out there that's all we're gonna say about that (laughs) but we will be saying more about that on the blog so go check out family.com and thank you so much to them for sponsoring us all right boobs let's talk boobs (laughs) so couple of reasons we wanted to concentrate on boobs today. Mm-hmm. First of all, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yes, and our family has uh, been affected by breast cancer twice over. Mm-hmm. Um, both people have recovered, mm-hmm. which we are so grateful for. Mm-hmm. But this is something that affects a lot of families. It affects a lot of people. A lot of women do experience breast cancer. It's mm-hmm. one of the most common cancers for women. Yep. And so we wanted to, first of all, just say that if you're going through that or if a loved one is going through that, we see you and we feel... Mm-hmm. the pain mm-hmm. and um you know we are just supporting you in that journey yep and so we'll be talking a little bit about that later um both members of my family my mother and my sister-in-law who had breast cancer had it in their 40s mm-hmm. so it's something that affects younger women so yeah this is just something we need to be aware of so please do the breast self checks mm-hmm. i will put a link to some great videos teaching you how to do that and yes. i think we should all be learning how to do that the other reason we want to talk about this was because there is a new book out mm-hmm. by Gary Thomas mm-hmm. and Deb Felita. Yes. Right? Which has been getting a lot of buzz recently because of how Gary's sections in particular talk about breasts. Mm-hmm. There's a number of issues that have there come are. out about the book. I've talked about some of those on the blog. I will put some links to some of those posts. There's a really good write-up of the entire thing on uh, Shannon Ashley's blog. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will put a link to that. But specifically what we want to look at today is just how Gary talks about the female body and how problematic that can be. But more than that, we want to talk about just kind of the evangelical culture that this book was published in. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a reason that this book was allowed to get published, and it's because this is a widespread issue. So we want to talk about overall, in our evangelical culture, how are we talking about breasts in a way that is frankly objectifying and harmful? 
So let me just read you a quote from the book Married Sex. And this is in one of Gary's chapters. So mm-hmm. Gary wrote this, not, not Deb Felita. So Gary says, By creational design and divine revelation, God clearly wants a wife's body, specifically her breasts, to enthrall her husband. In fact, the root word in the original language is more specific than breasts, but I'm not going to type it out here. You'll have to go to the end notes for more on that. By the way, the word is just nipple. Yeah. I'm I not- looked at the end notes. It's just nipple. I don't know why he couldn't say that. Well, he says it later in the book, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. So I, I don't, I genuinely don't understand that. Okay. Anyway, so he makes it sound like this. I, I, I will say that my theory is that he's quoting from a passage in Song of Solomon where a man is like, you know, elaborately, poetically describing pretty much every single aspect of his love's body. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Gary says that this passage shows that specifically God wants husbands to like the wives' breasts, but he doesn't actually use the word that the text uses, which is nipple. Right. So it's still breasts. And to me, this feels like there's, there's also verses where he talks about how her teeth are like sheep after being washed in the river. Mm-hmm. And like her hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Mm-hmm. Like, like the idea that this section specifically says that men are supposed to like boobs, to me... And I don't have a theology degree, mm-hmm. but to me it feels like proof texting and like we're, we're making Western cultures, you know, obsession with breasts, which is by the way, a Western thing. There are some yep. cultures that don't find breasts sexual in the same way. Yes. A God designed reality yep. versus just, Hey, you're supposed to like your wife's body. You like boobs? Like your wife's boobs. Yep. You like tummies? Like your wife's tummy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? You're a butt man? Like your wife's butt. But also like in Song of Solomon, it also talks about the things that she likes about him. Yeah, it does. So, and then it doesn't say, and Gary does not have anywhere that I saw anyway, saying that a wife was supposed to be enthralled with her husband's um, neck. Okay. So anyway, so that's the, that's the lead up to the next sentence, which is the one that everyone's been melting yeah. down about. Okay. So he talks about how God wants a wife's body, specifically her breast, to enthrall her husband. And then he says this, this gives wives an influence over their husbands that can reset any power balances that occur because of other issues. Many young women have learned how one quick flash of their breasts can change the climate in the room for their husbands like nothing else ever will. First of all, I do want to mention the fact that young women have learned this. Some people have caused, have found that quite offensive. Yes. So young women can flash their breasts and change the atmosphere. At what point is a woman's breast not young enough to do that anymore? Yes, so that's from. But also, notice how he just glosses over the fact that there's power imbalances in the marriage. So there's yep. power imbalances in the marriage, and he doesn't address it. Like, if you yep. have a power imbalance in the marriage, let me also point out, this is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we'll yes. be talking about that next week. Look, if there are power imbalances in the marriage, that matters. Yeah, and your boobs are not enough to fix an abusive marriage. No. But not only <laughs> that. Say that breasts were enough to fix power imbalances, which we know they're not. Mm-hmm. We know they're not because if mm-hmm. someone has power over you, like, first of all, to say that breasts can write a power imbalance says that marital rape cannot exist. Yeah. And that sounds like, like, like a bit of a leap, but if a woman is able to control a man with her body, then he is not able mm-hmm. to rape her. Yeah. And so we have to be very careful how we see this aspect of sexuality because mm-hmm. this has been so commonly the narrative in evangelical circles where it's, well, men have the leadership power, but women, you are the gatekeepers of sex. Yeah. And, and so, so you, you really have most of the power. Yeah. But really that erases, like we said, domestic violence Abu- like awareness month. 
where this erases the survivors who have found very quickly that they do not, in fact, mm-hmm. have control over whether or not sex happens. Yeah. Um, and also what it says is if you have a husband who has power or control over you, in order to have any hope at having influence, mm-hmm. you need to make yourself more vulnerable by presenting yourself to him sexually. Yeah. So you need to vault, make yourself even more vulnerable to a man who already has power over you. Mm-hmm. And you need to use your body to get yourself the respect or the, the whatever, whatever it is that you need. And, you know, so wrong. I, I do admit that who, often whoever is does have the lower libido does end up having power in the relationship in that. Like that's often how it feels is that the one with the lower libido determines how often we have sex. And so many people do feel like my spouse has the power over our sex life. And Mm -hmm. so that certainly is something to discuss. It does not always end up being the woman with the lower libido, by the way. So Mm -hmm. this could be go the other way. And, and that is certainly something to discuss, but the way to discuss is not like this. Well, and that's the thing is in a, in a truly healthy marriage, where one spouse simply wants sex less than the other, mm-hmm. they don't have a power imbalance. No. That the sex is writing. Exactly. You know, that's the issue, is the idea that, like, we're not saying that if you have a higher drive than your spouse and you feel like, but, like, frankly, she could get me to do anything if she just, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. We're not saying that you're raping your wife. That's not what mm-hmm. we're saying in the least. No. What we're saying is that he literally says that it can reset any power balances that occur because yeah. of other issues. Yeah. And so frankly, if a woman doesn't want to have sex because there's power balance issues, you don't have sex because that's not a safe situation no. to have sex in. You no. need to fix the power balance issues. Yeah. And I'm quite horrified that the man who wrote When to Walk Away also wrote this. Yeah, just that he just glossed right over that. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's unbelievable to me. And we do know that not every single power balance issue is a domestic violence issue. That may just They may just have like communication issues that are kind of... They need to work through. Like, I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. I have a hard time seeing how a power balance issue isn't abusive in nature. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure someone can think of some, you know, outside example or something. But the fact of the matter is every single abusive situation is a power imbalance. Yes. And so the fact that he said that and didn't do anything about abuse. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so problematic. It really, it really is. And there's never an excuse for that. He goes on um, saying, we are emphatically, this is several sentences later after talking about how wonderful it is that women have full breasts. Which we'll get to in a second. He says, we are emphatically not reducing a woman's power over her husband to her sexual appeal alone, but to deny this power entirely and not seek to understand its creational design is to choose ignorance about the way marriage is designed to work. Mm-hmm. And like he even says that this would be grossly inaccurate to, you know, um, reduce a woman's power, but he doesn't ever then really say what other And this influence. is what he does throughout the whole book is like, he'll teach one thing, but his examples show another. And it's very, very, very confusing. Mm-hmm. But there is, ne- so let me just say this clearly. There's never an excuse to say that the answer to a power imbalance is for a woman to flash her breasts. Yep. Or to offer sex or to do anything sexual. Because it also makes it sound like sex is manipulative. You're yep. basically telling your, your this woman to use sex as a manipulative tool in her marriage. Yep. If she wants something done, if she wants her husband to be less grumpy, if she wants him to do whatever, she just gives him an old flash like that yeah. that is manipulative it's well, seeing sex as transactional not intimate and we've had so many i've seen so many men comment too saying like that's not what i want i don't mm-hmm. want my wife to only have sex with me because she thinks that she needs to write a power imbalance that's horrible like i don't want my wife to manipulate me sexually to get me to do what she yeah. wants like i want 
to actually just enjoy and revel in her and have her enjoy and revel in me with no ulterior motives. Yeah. And that is what married sex should be. Yeah. So this is all, it's a very, very, very strange way. And we're getting really worked up. But yeah, sorry. To, to, but to tell you the truth, we, you know, when we wrote The Great Sex Rescue, what we said we wanted to do was to change the conversation in the evangelical world about yeah. sex. And actually, as worked up as we are, what has been really encouraging to us this week is to see the phenomenal reaction against married sex and these types of sentences. There's there's mm-hmm. several others that are problematic, but these types of things particularly because women are not taking it anymore. It's no, like, we actually have changed the conversation. And men aren't either. So many no. men have spoken up as well. Kyle, how like lots and lots of people on, yep. on Twitter. And a lot of our patrons too are guys mm-hmm. and they are just being so encouraging. I know there's a lot of women in our patron group where we're all talking about how harmful this has been in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And then the guys just swoop and they're like, you know what? Hey, we're going to give you hope for, <laughs> for the future. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and it's just fantastic to see yep. everyone speaking up. Yep. So shameless plug for our patron group. If you yep. want to support our research and help us get into more social media channels, yes. the money and if does there not were... go to me. This podcast is already fully funded, yep. but it helps uh, it, it helps pay for Joanne and Rebecca's time as they try to get our research into other channels. So yep. you can do that. Um, we will put the link in the podcast notes. Okay. I do want to say this, though, about some other aspects of the way that, that um, the evangelical world is talking about boobs. And we see this further in this paragraph in Married Sex. He says, a woman's breasts are unique among primates in that they amplify during puberty and stay enlarged throughout life. No animals share this trait. And then female apes have breasts that enlarge when they are nursing, but they don't become that way until the moms start nursing and don't stay that way. Full breasts throughout life distinguish a woman from any other creature on earth. And so I have a couple things to say about this that my, my Connor and I were actually talking about this and Connor was incredibly disturbed by this because this li- this comes right after that whole thing about how God creationally wanted like husbands to be enthralled by wife's breasts. And then he says the whole power imbalances. And then he goes in to say, you know, through puberty, we get boobs and that's what makes us different from apes in mm-hmm. essence. My husband was saying, we need to stop as a church making breasts the marker of sexuality mm-hmm. because there are 11-year-olds with bras. Yeah. Like, he was actually, especially since we're expecting a girl. Mm-hmm. This was something where he was saying, like, boobs do not make you a sexual being or a woman. Mm-hmm. That is not it at all. And when we are talking about breasts in this way where it's like, it's God-designed, it happens from puberty and stays, and isn't this so wonderful, then what we're saying is God designed us to have boobs so that our men can be enthralled by them, but also we get boobs at age 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. And so what does that... There's so much of evangelical culture that to me, as I'm reading through it, just reeks of... And I want to be not too harsh here, but it has a very, very... um, pedophilic undertone mm-hmm. of how kind of like the the young virgin who's just hit puberty is like this ideal sexual being because she's innocent she's young she's pure she's, pure, yeah. she's naive she listens she follows she's, she's submissive, submissive. <laughs> right and and we know from so many stories of sexual abuse in the church that a lot of times it starts just as girls are entering puberty. Mm-hmm. And I don't, don't think that Gary Thomas is of that mindset whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But as a cultural trend, we need to be careful about how we talk about breasts because there 
is a mindset out mm-hmm. there that hypersexualizes our young girls. Other cultures, like in, in Canada and in the States, other groups are not sexualizing 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. They're not telling 11-year-olds that the 60-year-olds around you are going to be looking at your breasts now that you have them. Yeah. Which is something that you and your sister were told. Oh, yeah. By, by Sunday school teachers, by the yep. church, that you needed to watch what you wore now because you were at that age and you had, and both of you developed rel- relatively young. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, it was really awkward. And one of the problems is that we associate big boobs with being more sexual. Yes. So we associate the size of one's breasts with, with how sexual you are. Yep. Like um, we did a post a while ago where I invited people to send me in their stories of, of how they felt when they developed breasts early mm-hmm. and how that affected their self-image. And this one girl said, I am 15. So she here's a girl writing into the blog. And I often get comments from grown men saying I need to cover up because they might not be able to control themselves. My stepfather commented mm. on my breasts when I was younger and said, said how I would grow up to be a stripper. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. But this is something that I notice a lot, even in the material that we use to teach girls about puberty, is that we sexualize their motives as soon as they have breasts. So we assume that they are trying to entice, that, yeah. when, they, that when they wear a V-neck, they are trying to entice older men. Yeah. And we, we accuse them of that when... No 12-year-old wants a 48-year-old guy staring at her chest. And if she does, then we need to get her into trauma therapy because there's probably something that happened yes. that caused her to have that reaction. And I think what's happening is that we we see girls' bodies as basically through the male lens. And because guys are turned on by the girls, then it's assumed that she meant to do that because we yeah. can't see her as having her own motivations. Well, and also, we can't actually ask the men to have self-control and mm-hmm. to um, you know accept responsibility for their own sexual urges. And I will say that mentality that men are not supposed to have self-control over their urges but that men's urges are a good and god-given thing all of them Mm -hmm. is in married sex as well yeah gary discusses that as well and we'll talk about that in another podcast yeah but this whole and, and even the way that we talk about modesty rules and clothing rules when it comes to youth group shames girls with larger chests. So this yeah. one girl said, swimsuits were a nightmare My as my mother tried to keep me modest. Cleavage was forbidden in our youth group, which meant wearing clothes up to my collarbone. Mm. So many safety pins trying to correct my outfits. And my dad stopped hugging me. It's just so sad. Yeah. It's just so sad. Because she is not trying to be sexual with her breasts. They are just body parts. But she is she is being taught and yeah. treated like she is trying to be sexual when she's simply existing. Yep. And there's a lot of shame that goes along with that for, for girls, especially with larger chests. Yeah, and I do want to say, too, that we are talking about this, you know, as two, like, white women. Yes. <laughs> but we also do know there's been studies that show and there's been a lot of, like, racial trauma advocates who have said that this is an even bigger problem often mm-hmm. with young girls of color mm-hmm. because they tend to develop what, you know, we consider highly sexual bodies yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. And so it means that, you know, young women of color are often seen in a more sexual lens than their Caucasian counterparts just simply because their hormones kicked in. Yeah. Like they didn't 
choose. No 11, like 11 year olds are often quite awkward about their bodies. They're not like trying to flaunt them off all the time. Yeah. Like it's just, this is just ridiculous. And And it really does harm a lot of girls. And we need to be willing to address the fact that we've talked about this in a way that causes young girls to be in essence blamed for the perverted thoughts of grown men. Yeah, and that's just not right. Now, I also want to show how this passage, however, shames in another way. And this one I can relate to a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) But he says, full breasts throughout life distinguish a woman from any other creature on earth. Yeah, so what about our double A sisters? What about our double A sisters? (laughs) I actually, I mean, I don't know, how do I say this without TMI? Like, like, I was one of those few women for whom breastfeeding, I actually kept some of the enhanced yes. breastage stuff. Yes. Like, I mean, before breastfeeding, I had basically nothing. I was so happy in like the late 90s when padded bras became normal and stuff. <laughs> okay. But I've always been on the smaller size. And in my youth group, I was surrounded by girls who were very much on the larger size. Mm-hmm. And that was really mortifying too, because I felt like I wasn't attractive. I yeah. felt like I had nothing to offer. And when less we, feminine too. And less, way less feminine. And when we tell girls that your breasts are what enthrall men, and specifically your full breasts. And also, they're what make you different than an ape. They're what, yeah. Having a full breast is what distinguishes you from being an ape. Well, I mean, to be fair, what he's saying is like apes grow breasts when they're breastfeeding and they go back. And so Yeah, but there's grow. a lot of women who have smaller boobs after breastfeeding. Yes, there are. And so, like, <laughs> breastfeeding does change the size of your boobs. And so, I just don't think there is ever ever, ever an appropriate time to insinuate anything about the size of or a woman's Or just to compare chest. a woman's chest to an animal. Yes, like, I would again, agree. Let's I would just, agree. Let's just mm-hmm. not do that. It's unnecessary. You can make the same point without saying, by the way, this is why you're not a monkey or an mm-hmm. ape. It's one of those things where we are adding significance to something that doesn't need to have this significance Mm -hmm. unless we are trying to write off some harmful things that men do. Because that's what this whole section is doing. It's explaining why men are so enthralled with your bodies, why men are so visual. It explains Mm -hmm. how you have to give him sex because he needs this in a way that you don't even understand. Um, It's all this mentality. And so we have to rationalize it. And what's the rationalization? Well, God wants men to want to look at your boobs. And so this is a godly thing. Yeah. So we have to find these weird rationalizations where we could just not yeah, and, and just instead, just talk say, about intimacy and hey, ple- like delight in each other, enjoy each other, enjoy your spouse enjoying you. Look at Song of Solomon. You are allowed to just revel in being reveled in. Yeah, like <laughs> and you're allowed to revel in your spouse's body, and you know what? It might not be her boobs. Like maybe yeah. you're a guy who prefers butts. <laughs> I like big butts, and I cannot yeah, exactly. like, like maybe you're a guy who prefers necks. Like, like I don't know. <laughs> Like, it doesn't need to be boobs, okay? And it can be boobs. Yes. But enjoy the boobs. If enjoy you'd like the, boobs. the boobs. But one of the things that, that really strikes me also, um, and we see this not just in married sex, but in a variety of books, is this assertion uh, that your breasts always belong to your husband. Like, mm-hmm. your breasts were made to satisfy him. And so even when your breasts have another purpose, you need to remember that your husband still wants them. Yes. Because breasts are basically a husband's playground. Yep. 
And that sees your breasts very much as existing for him. Yeah. And not just for any other reason. Yeah. Your breasts are objects on the person. Mm-hmm. They're not a part of the person. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. experience with your breasts is entirely separate from your experience. Yes. Like you have to allow your breasts to be used mm-hmm. rather than acknowledging that how your breasts are used affects you as a person. Yeah. And we see this most dramatically, of course, when women start breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, and we have a really great um, story that someone sent us in. So we have this like mm-hmm. our reader question segment, but it's not a question. We just wanted to share a woman's experience. Yes. Because she doesn't have any questions. She just wrote in about her experience with breastfeeding in the church. Mm-hmm. I noticed that in our very conservative community, women are always covered up. I didn't see any reason why, but I sort of conformed like when in Rome and all that. That was okay for first and second baby, but third baby absolutely hated to cover. Around the same time, two of my husband's younger brothers were married and I I became friends with my sisters-in-law. My husband started a new job and was suddenly gone all week, nearly every week. I was supportive, but suddenly I was home alone with three really little kids. If I went anywhere, I had to nurse baby in the same room as the kids were playing. I would use the two-shirt method if no men were near me and just try the best I could with a blanket if they were there. Suddenly, all these hints were aimed at me by these sisters about not holding my shirt if I bent over to pick up the kids, about bending to give baby to father-in-law, about not wearing a scarf to cover cleavage, about how uncomfortable it is to see anyone breastfeed and how a nipple had occasionally been seen. I got tired of the hints and foolishly decided to ask openly if there was a problem. Well, there was. I was told that my boobs had long been a problem for my brothers-in-law. I was wearing shirts too low and that it was their job to protect their husband's eyes. I was so taken aback by this flood of judgment that after the first attempt at self-defense, I just sort of melted and stayed home a lot. I tried to buy a few newer shirts, but the fact is I'm just big breasted and it doesn't help very much. So then I was told a nice light summer scarf would help. Well, I get hot. So I just said that I wouldn't be doing that and it was my body to dress. So then I heard that I was obviously wanting the attention, seeing that I had heard that it was my problem and I refused to change. Mm-hmm. Then maybe my marriage was suffering because my husband was away and I was need- needy for attention. And this is <laughs> absolutely not the case. The whole debacle shook my faith for a while, sort of hiding from God, not wanting to pray because I was so hurt and thinking that he was judging me that I must be in the wrong. And for a long time, I cried whenever I thought of my lost friendships and what they had thought of me. Yeah. And that's just the problem, right? Like this is a woman who, because people are seeing her normal, just life, mm-hmm. living with kids mm-hmm. as sexual because of our hyperfixation mm-hmm. on how men are to be enthralled with breasts. Yeah. That she lost community, she lost family, she lost her ability to go to church, and she started to struggle with her faith in God. Yeah. Like, this is a mom who the church should have been wrapping their arms around with support. Yeah. This is a mom who is home alone with three kids, including a baby who is still very, very young and nursing. Mm -hmm. Like, why didn't she have, you know, older ladies in the church to come by and, you know, help play with the kids or Mm -hmm. help just cook her meals or any, just talk for Pete's sake. She's home alone all the time. Yeah. But instead she got judgment. Yeah. And, and this is the thing. You know, when you are breastfeeding your breasts, that's actually what your breasts were for. And the neat thing about breasts is that you can breastfeed whether you're small-breasted or big-breasted. You can still breastfeed. Yep. (laughs) And And obviously, and we do want to say, we know there's a lot of women who just can't breastfeed or just choose not to. No shame. No shame. You... Fed is best. Go yes, for it. But yes. Just, yeah. yeah. Keep being fed. No shame. 
Um, and we know there's some, there's many women who wanted to, and this was a big disappointment. They couldn't. I just meant that size is not usually the determining factor. Exactly. It's not like big breasted women can breastfeed better. So it's not like big breasted women are better or small breasted women are better. No. It's just, this is just the way you're made. Yeah. (laughs) And your body is okay. (laughs) Like it really is. And when you are feeding your children, those breasts are for your children. And we shouldn't be adding shame to that either by how we treat women in public, but also by the messages that we give new moms. Yeah. So I just want to read you this yeah and also this from married sex or do yeah. you want to read it this is this from was... deb's chapter i i actually was quite bothered by this so maybe i'll read this one this one was personally kind of frustrating for me mm-hmm. special note to nursing moms sadly many women know how sensitive their nipples are because they equate the sensitivity of their nipples with the pain of breastfeeding a child i've talked to some women who have had a hard time disconnecting this part of their body from its functions with it, their children and giving themselves permission to see their breasts and nipples as a means to their own sexual pleasure For a certain season of life, your breasts are used as a method of feeding and sustaining your infants. And then all of a sudden, a few hours later, you have to make the shift from milk machine to sexy woman. For some women, it can be a difficult mental shift. Understandably so. If you're currently in that season where you struggle to allow yourself to enjoy foreplay or even sex altogether, remember that giving yourself permission to enjoy intimacy is important for your personal and relational health. It's natural to struggle for a season, but be careful not to allow infrequent intimacy to become a pattern and rob yourself of the joy of being sexually satisfied. You deserve it. And now, first of all, I like that she's doing this as a pep talk to women versus yeah. a shame thing. Yeah. And I actually agree with the last part of that. Except that she's equating nipple and breast play with intimacy. Yes. That's my issue. I have no mm-hmm. problem with saying like, you know what? Like, do what you can to emphasize intimacy with your partner during this time. But mm-hmm. she never says it's okay to have breasts and nipples off limit. Yeah. yeah. And also, she says that the pain of breastfeeding and sore nipples. First of all, if there are any nursing mothers, if you are ever in pain or sore, see a lactation consultant. It shouldn't hurt. Yeah. It yeah. shouldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it really shouldn't. <laughs> um, yes. But the thing is, when a woman is breastfeeding... There are often very valid reasons Mm -hmm. that she does not want her nipples or breasts touched. Mm -hmm. And it's not a divine mandate that a man gets to fondle his wife's breasts any second he wants, whenever he wants, Mm -hmm. because he has to be enthralled with them. Mm -hmm. Okay? Some women have oversupply issues. Yep. Some women, and, and, and it might just be that there's not a lot of knowledge here, because some women don't ever leak. Right. You know, they successfully breastfeed their kids for like, you know, a really long time and they never leak. They can mm-hmm. use those really thin little nipple shields. Yeah. And then there are those of us, <laughs> and I'm sorry if this is TMI, but for some of you who don't know what's going on, especially if there are men who are listening who don't understand the experience, mm-hmm. we'll put it this way. We cloth diaper my kid, you know, and I would use two at night. Yeah. One in each side. <laughs> it's like the nip. I literally could not find nipple pads that would work. Yeah. Okay, like there are women who, and then also there's lots of research that shows that for a lot of women, orgasm leads to the letdown reflex. Yeah, that's actually, the, yeah, for, for many women, orgasm equals letdown. And the letdown reflex, for those of you who don't know, a lot of people think that the way that the milk comes out of the nipple is the baby, is sucks. The baby sucks it out. Yeah. Actually, what happens is the baby sucks and that um, stimulates the letdown reflex, which is like your breasts literally squirt out. Yeah. Like it literally squirts out. And, <laughs> and and again, some women do not have the shooting. Some women, it really yeah. is more of like kind of it just drips. It, drips. it just kind of falls out. Yeah. But there's a lot of women for whom like you can hit the lamp. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like there were times when, when you or Katie would unlatch and then you would just get milk straight up your nostril and yep. straight in your eye. Because like you're just, 
you're you're it's like it's not even just one stream either it's like eight or nine eight or nine streams going in yeah. every different direction and also you know if you do if you're at a point where you're engorged and this can't and this doesn't just happen at the beginning mm-hmm. of nursing either like as your baby is adjusting how much milk they need since you can get engorged again even six months into nursing well yeah like when the babies start sleeping through the night often yeah. night is the worst because you're used to feeding them in the night and then they go through the night and nights like you can barely sleep at night because you're so yeah. engorged yeah so like say you're yeah so so there's a lot of stuff where it can legitimately be painful mm-hmm. or uncomfortable or also like it would, it would be like men okay picture you're like it's kind of like it would be really hard to feel sexy during sex if you're trying to hold in a fart yeah <laughs> right and so if you're one of those women who's really like i just don't want to shoot you in the face with breast milk yeah you know then it's like, like, i don't and, find i don't find shooting you in the face with breast milk sexy and no. so and so then as a woman <laughs> you're holding off your own orgasm and yeah. by the way, if you do find that sexy, that's just a problem. Like, like I'm sorry, but like, as a, so as a woman, you're holding off your own orgasm because you're afraid you're going to leak. Like, yeah, and there might be people who are like, I don't really care. The same way with period sex, where it's like, yeah, you know, and there's blood, more I don't power care. to you. Yeah, you go, you go have fun. We're but, not talking to you. But there are <laughs> a lot of people, there are a lot of women who want to reach orgasm, but who also have oversupply issues. And so for like a year... They have sex with a bra on and nipple yeah. pads. And they're like, you can touch any part of me except for this one. Yeah. And that should be okay. Yeah. Like why <laughs> wasn't like a special note for nursing moms being like, you know, you may have previously found that nipple play was really important for your orgasm or that, you know, touching mm-hmm. breasts and you're now finding that's not the case. Take this time to, you know, explore other erogenous zones if your breasts are simply yeah. off limits while you nurse. Yeah. You know, yeah. why don't you just say that? You can still have the idea that if a husband isn't able to play with your nipples, you're not having sex yeah is really a problem to me yes like again because we're seeing a woman's breasts as objects separate from her experience mm-hmm. right her experience needs to matter mm-hmm. and that might mean that he doesn't get to touch her breasts for a while because she is sacrificing those for the family mm-hmm. you know like this this does not need to be difficult yeah and you can take turns yeah okay speaking of erogenous zones yeah since this is the all about boobs podcast i want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about how women do experience breasts as Mm -hmm. erogenous zones and how some women don't if you don't like your breasts touched you're not less sexual than someone who does no you're not and because some women really like their breasts touched Mm -hmm. and some women really don't some women really like their nipples stimulated in a whole variety of ways and some women just find that really Mm off-putting and that's okay because we all have different things that we like that needs to be understood that like your breasts exist for you too yes (laughs) they're not they're not like your husband's property and there's something like like separate from you they're part of you sexually and that means that some of you are going to really like them being touched and some of you aren't here's another tip though often what we like when we're just getting warmed up is very different from what we like right before orgasm. Mm-hmm. Like we do get a lot of comments where we say, I don't like how my breasts touch, but then when they say what happens, like they start having sex and immediately they're getting groped and pinched. Yeah. And immediately like he's, <laughs> do, he's doing the twisty thing. And yeah. like the twisty thing very rarely feels, feels good <laughs> at all, but it especially doesn't feel good when you're not aroused. Yeah. Like, and, and so we need to separate these things out. I, I talk about this a lot in the good girl's guide to great sex and the good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, both of which are coming out in February. Mm-hmm. Um, the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, of course, is right now out, but I have just massively revised exploded it, it revised it. Um, so the revised version is coming out. But I talk about the sexual response cycle and how we have like excitement when you're just warming up. 
You know, you're just thinking about sex. That's like, you know, your kisses on the neck, your whispers in the ear, etc. And if she's not aroused yet, and he goes right for the nipples for most women or right for the clitoris for most women, that's going to be, feel really off-putting. Mm-hmm. Like so many women have told us, I just don't like my clitoris being touched. Well, but it's also, because he's going for it when she feels nothing yet. Well, and it's also, it also is bad. Like I have seen research too that, that it's not just because we get comments from women who don't like it. Like I've like there is, there is yes. in sexuality research. It also shows like, you know, in general, erogenous zones for women mm-hmm. tend to be like the more sexual, like quote unquote sexual zones tend to be more mm-hmm. favorable at higher levels of arousal yeah and actually if you touch them at lower levels of arousal they're not just less favorable they're actually off-putting sometimes yeah they can be off-putting and we talk about this a lot in the orgasm course too so like it could be that he's been touching your breasts too early Mm -hmm. or touching your nipples too early or touching them too rough and if he were to try the same thing when you're much further along in the arousal cycle it might be very different okay so there's just little tips but you know what if it's not and you never like it that's okay too yeah it doesn't mean that you're less sexual Mm And now I have new research of the week. Oh, okay. Yes. This one I got from, <laughs> this is probably not entirely accurate, but I, so it's not really new research. I got this from a lingerie store, <laughs> but, okay. but, but I have heard this from a whole variety of sources. And that is that approximately somewhere between 50 and 80% of women are wearing the wrong bra size. Oh, yes. We've seen that everywhere. That's, yes. That's pretty well known. Yeah. And so if you, you know, our breasts do change. Yep. They change with breastfeeding. Um, they change with time. They change with time. With gravity. They change with menopause. <laughs> they change with gravity. Um, they change with weight. Yep. Like all kinds of stuff. And here's something that people may not know is that when you go down a band size, you can go up a cup size. So if you have a 36C bra, for instance, a 34D would be the equivalent if you change the band size. And often what people need to do is change the band size, but go up or down a cup size. Mm -hmm. And that makes a tremendous difference. And so, you know what? Go get a nice bra fitting. It feels wonderful to have Mm -hmm. bras that fit. So that's our new research. Yeah, maybe not as like, you know, technical and meta-analytical no. and all that yeah. stuff is normal. But, but let's care for the boobs. Now, let's be honest. Two weeks ago, you got a whole podcast of meta-analysis. You can give us this one. Yeah, you, you can, can give us this one. Um, okay, so that's the, that's the, that's the lighthearted stuff. Now for the more serious stuff. This yes. is Breast Cancer Awareness Week. You know, and we really do encourage people to learn how to do breast self-checks. Yeah. But also, we need to remember how many women are dealing with this and how many families are dealing with this. And we need to remember that the way that we talk about breasts has a profound impact on those Mm -hmm. who are suffering from it. So part of the saddest thing that I went through this week, as this quote that Gary did about how her breasts can change the power balance in a marriage because they enthrall her husband was seeing the women with breast cancer starting to comment in these threads and one particular here's one comment and she said wow i am actually shaken right now by this i am facing a double mastectomy for breast cancer next week so what is he saying that my body will no longer enthrall my husband and it will be my fault yeah what does that mean um I am sure Gary did not mean that. I, I'm absolutely positive no, he didn't I, mean I it. would put good money down that Gary did not ever intend for that to happen. But remember that when we talk about how our breasts were def- were designed to enthrall our husbands and that your breasts are, the, are one of the most sexual parts of you, that really affects a woman who's about to lose them. And this happens for any... This is why we need to be careful not to objectify our spouses. And that's what this is, by the way. Mm-hmm. Focusing so much on the power of a breast 
-hmm. versus the power of the person. Mm -hmm. The influence of the person is objectifying. There were all these comments from women saying, really, it's my breasts that influence my husband, not my personality, not my wisdom, not my intelligence. Yeah. So here's, here's one comment from a woman who I think it's Who's in our patron group. Who's in our patron group, yeah. And, and she said this, which I think just perfectly encapsulates the, the objectification mm -hmm. that's happening here. Let me get this straight. The thing that enthralls a man the thing that gives me influence over him that can reset any power balances that occur because of other issues, whatever that means, but I won't go there now, is something determined by my genes over which I have no influence. It's not my character. It's not the way I think. It's not the way I choose my words. It's not my compassion. It's nothing that makes me uniquely me. In fact, it's something that if my genetics did not bless me, I could save up enough money and buy as an add-on. Good God, if I'd read this 33 years ago, I would have become a nun. Yeah. And that's harsh, but that's the reality of what's being said. So um, I'm going to bring my mom on in a minute to talk about breast cancer, but I want to end with this. And this is a comment that, was, that I read this morning by a man named Bob. And he said, you know, five years ago, my wife had one breast removed. And when I put my hand on that empty space, that is just as sexy to me as when I put it on her other breast. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what it means to love your wife. Yeah. That's him being enthralled with his wife. Not just her boobs. Not just her boobs. Well, for the first time ever in her wonderful debut on our podcast, <laughs> we have my mommy. This is Elizabeth Ray. And hello. <laughs> and Happy to be here, I and, think. Yes. And usually mom's standing like outside the screen door <laughs> when I'm doing these podcasts, wondering if it's okay for her to come in because <laughs> it requires this time you're on the other side. That's okay. right. That's right. And you are here for Breast Cancer Awareness Week. Yeah, I am. Because 10 years ago, we had our Glad You're Not Dead party. We did. For your 25th anniversary. Yes. And Made we, it 25 years, but that was a while ago now. Yeah, now it's 35 years. Amazing. Just and, wonderful. And everybody thought our Glad You're Not Dead party was in very bad taste. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, yes. I mean, it would be pretty bad if you were glad <laughs> I was dead. Yes. So. And what's the alternative? Like That's right. Exactly. So, no. yes, but yeah, when I was 16 and you were yeah. a single mom. That, that was a desperate, desperate day. Yeah. Um, I remember my prayer so clearly that day was, Dear Lord, could I please live until she's 21? Yeah. Yeah. I Apparent, I didn't even understand how bad my cancer was. It wasn't until actually a few years ago my sister told me mm -hmm. um, just how bad the diagnosis was. But at the time, all I could think of was, I do not want to die and leave Sheila at age 16. Mm -hmm. And so I was just praying, dear Lord, could I please make it to 21 somehow? Yeah. Yeah. The idea of actually living a very long life <laughs> didn't seem very realistic at that point, and I've been very fortunate. Yeah, and now you're really healthy, and your <laughs> great grandson lives around the corner, and it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do is to make sure that people know that at one point in time I I did have cancer, mm -hmm. because so often what we know are the people who we've lost. Mm-hmm. And we don't always know about the people who are able to recover and deal with it and got the help they needed. And I've been so grateful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, very fortunate. 
And I did, I have a, I had a friend who died at 32 when she yeah. had two small children, yeah. you know, and it does take so many. So we just want to encourage people, please learn to do a self, a breast self check. We'll put some videos up and, but most importantly, just get checked. <laughs> just get checked. Yes. Because like you, we've got lumps. Yes. So. Oh, I have lumps everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, the important thing is to get checked. Yeah. And I just want to say too, I, I have to go for mammogram every year because of, of yeah. your diagnosis. And almost every time they call me back for yes. extra stuff, just because you get called back doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Mm. And I think a lot of people are scared to go because they might have all of these negative things, but get checked. Yes. It's much better to know than not. And I, yeah. I would. I was at that time I was not going and getting checked mm -hmm. what had happened was that there was a, a swimming pool in the condo where I lived and my sister was visiting for the weekend mm -hmm. and we went down to go swimming and she took a look at me and she said I think you should have that breast checked because mm -hmm. we were you know changing mm -hmm. and um, so that would have been on the weekend I think I called my doctor and likely saw him maybe Monday or Tuesday but no yeah. later than that and within a week, I had surgery. That's yeah. how serious it was. Yeah, and they removed a very, very large tumor that he said he'd never seen a tumor that large that hadn't spread. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, was, I, I was very, very fortunate to, yeah. you know, have the outcome that we did. And, of course, recently I was told that my, I'm now at the age mm -hmm. <laughs> where your, your likelihood of breast cancer goes up. Mm -hmm. And I said, well... Shouldn't I be at half the risk? Because <laughs> you've only got one. <laughs> and the doctor sort of looked at me. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so yeah. every once in a while there is an advantage. Yes, exactly. Twice a year. Twice a year. Whenever mm -hmm. you have your mammogram. Mm -hmm. <laughs> whenever you get your checkup. Yeah. So. Very good. Yeah. So yes, again, we do want to acknowledge that there are some people who do not. Yes. live 35 years after diagnosis right. um, and we do feel for them especially and the families but um, again we shouldn't necessarily see it as a death sentence because for most women it isn't that's right and so the more help that you can get earlier the better yeah so get checked and now speaking of boobs because we are all about boobs this week. We have another very strange boob-related story. <laughs> yes. So after I had my mastectomy, of course, one of the things I had to do was to get fitted for a prosthesis and get bras that would accommodate somebody mm -hmm. who had had breast cancer. And by the way, let me encourage you, if you, have, if you are in that situation, um, please do get properly fitted because mastectomy bras are provide more support uh, mm -hmm. in areas where there's been the surgery than regular bras do. Anyway, mm -hmm. I had been using mastectomy bras for years. I was telling the story uh, to a group of friends at a retreat one weekend uh, about how we had collected bras and taken them to Kenya. Mm -hmm. And how, what a difference it made. The girls were so excited mm -hmm. to get nice bras. And the following morning, a lady came out of the kitchen and said to me, I heard you telling that story last night. Uh, my friend works for a bra company. Mm -hmm. Would you mind if I gave her your name and address and maybe she would want to be in touch with you? And so people were asking me for that all the time, and I always gave it for whatever reason, mm -hmm. <laughs> never expecting to hear. But mm -hmm. about two months later, I heard. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the company, and to make a long story short, 
we now have bras mm -hmm. to take to the Muli children's family in Kenya every year. Now, we mm -hmm. get them as seconds, so they aren't perfect. So I spend a lot of my life mm -hmm. trimming bras and organizing them and sorting them. But I remember one year when all, the whole family was there. I don't remember whether it was maybe 08, 10. I think it was 10 because mm -hmm. the girls were a little older at that point. Mm -hmm. And we had spent much of the previous day and much of that day fitting the girls with bras and giving them what I later learned was the first new item they had ever had in their whole life because the tag was still on and that tag was so important. Yeah. But I remember, was it Rebecca? One of the girls observing as, as she was watching the uh, MCF girls at Yatta say, do you see they're walking taller today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they have that smile on their face every time they see us. Yeah. And so that started us, in the, or me, I guess, in the bra business. And so I've been receiving bras. I'll receive more today, actually, I've mm -hmm. been informed. And we trim them, and uh, we get them over to Kenya. And they are given to the girls at the Mully Children's Family, mm -hmm. to the staff who work there, mm -hmm. and now to the girls in the community. Yeah, so, so we've taken thousands upon thousands. thousands upon thousands, which is so fun. And if you think about it, it just it just gives them some privacy, especially for so many oh. girls who have been sexually assaulted, just to have that and sense it's of, new. It's new, it's pretty. And, and, it's, for, and for the first time in their life, Mm -hmm. they actually get a, gar a bra that fits because they just simply go down to the market and get mm -hmm. whatever is there. Yeah. Um, and when I say we fit the girls, we do it in a very Kenyan way. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> we fit them over their clothing, mm -hmm. but that works well for them and that works fine for us. Yeah, and I, I remember, and, and a lot of the girls need very small ones, so we're always happy to get small ones, but of course a lot of the bras that you get are like 48, Yes, and huge ones, but I'll tell you, there's some women who needed those. And I remember this one particular woman <laughs> who had worked, um, who who did some amazing work with the girls um, at one of the the homes that we were visiting, and she was a very larger woman, and she was wearing a band size that was, I think she was wearing a 36 band size. Yes. And we eventually got her in a 46 or 44. I think I I think it. Where we got her in the 44, she stopped. Yeah. She said that was fine. I wanted to keep going. Yeah. But like to finally have something that oh. actually fit her. And then there was another woman who had just never had a bra. And she must have been in her 40s. And she was very large. And just the, if you can imagine the weight of that. Yes. Yeah. And so like bras actually help with oh. distributing well, the particularly weight. Particularly these ones that I get are so well built. That yeah. They do. Yeah. So anyway, it's just been quite the, it's just so <laughs> funny that you with your mastectomy spend your life going through bras. <laughs> well, with this woman you were talking about who hadn't had a bra, you were working with her. She was mm -hmm. large. Mm -hmm. And at that point, um, I was not fitting anybody. Mm -hmm. And you called me, you said, purple, yeah. purple. <laughs> and you don't get very many purple bras in the very, well, we don't get very many, period, because they're, mm -hmm. they're a specialty yeah. item. Um, but certainly in the very large sizes. Yeah. And so there I am digging around in our yeah. supply of bras. 
and absolutely thrilled mm -hmm. to find a purple one. It was this purple, super lacy, but oh. very, very, very support because yes. she needed the support. Yeah. And oh gosh, it was just, it was, it was really fun. She was These are the really, memories, aren't they? Yeah. And you know, it's such a little thing, but it helps. Uh, it, it's just a way that, yeah, people can feel more feminine and and we've got a friend going to Kenya next month who's taking bras with permission from the company, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And I was sorting and trimming them the other day, and I contacted her. And I said, do you really want 48 triple Ds? Mm -hmm. Because you only have so much space and the rest of it. And she said last time she gave out three of them to her aunts. They needed them. Yeah. And she said, you have no idea how happy they were to get them. So yeah. as you can imagine, she's taking these yes. ones too. So this is what we do, all yep. about boobs, is helping yep. boobs around the world. And because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you need the support. That's and it matters. Right. That's yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Um, as we have been talking about boobs, I just don't know if you have anything that you, since you've been listening for the last <laughs> week to everything that's been going on, do oh. you have any thoughts yes that you I would actually like to share do. okay um I know that when women have cancer and and or we have surgeries for whatever reason mm -hmm. we can be very sensitive as to our body image mm -hmm. but over the years because I'm very old now so I've got lots of wisdom mm -hmm. I've recognized that the sexiest part of a woman is her eyes mm -hmm. and the second most sexiest part is her smile mm-hmm and somebody who knows how to really relate to somebody, to care about somebody, and to express that mm -hmm. is sexy. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this edition of the Bear Marriage Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you to Femily for sponsoring this. And as always, I just want to end with some encouragement um, that's come in to us this week that's made us feel great. And this was a new review written about the Great Sex Rescue. Um, it's called A Christian Sex Book That Gets It Right. I bought this book because two pastors I trust recommended it. I found the book so liberating that I bought copies to give to my staff and my friends. I tell women about it all the time. And now my church is leading a group of women through the book and the feedback from them is telling. I wish I knew this when I was raising my daughters I would have taught them better I'm going to use this to talk to them now mm -hmm. this book has made me angry at all the crap I was taught <laughs> when I was younger and now I know that I'm not broken I'm just different made differently from my husband and I love that yeah and if you want to do a study remember that we have a free video um, series that goes along with the book and I will put a link to that you can use it in your small group use it anywhere yes uh, my favorite feature is the rescuing and reframing section at the end of each chapter. It's invaluable for not just changing thinking, but explaining truth clearly and simply. Very important these days. Example, instead of saying the reason men watch porn is because they're not getting enough sex, say it is not your spouse's responsibility to keep you away from pornography. Uh -huh. I read few so-called Christian help advice books because most of them regularly take scripture out of context or cherry pick passages to prove their points. They often lack good evidence and intellectual depth, and especially in the marriage sex arena, they recycle the same har harmful information and double standards which keep men infantilized and women subjugated. This book is not that. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you. And we will see you back here next week on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Don't know if Becca will have the baby or not, but she will be here because we're filming it right away. So <laughs> see you later, guys. <laughs>